Don Sunshine is a former police officer, SWAT team member, and deputy wildlife conservation officer. He then spent a number of years working for Apple and other tech companies in various sales and management positions before God called him into full-time ministry. He has no seminary or a Bible college degree. He's a layperson serving God vocationally. In the fall of 2004, at the urging of Ron Hutchcraft, Don built a life-changing evangelism training that he calls Make a Difference, or MAD for short. He has taught this MAD live event 381 times in 21 states and Canada, equipping over 20,000 people to uh, daily share the gospel and have a lifestyle of evangelism. And God has caused, uh, used this material to transform lives everywhere he goes. Actually, I attended one of these live events uh, when the church extension department shared uh, this with the uh, church planters. But in addition to that, he's uh, been at Pinebrook to share with the summer staff there several times. Uh, and the faculty and staff at Crown College of the Bible in Powell, Tennessee. He and his wife, Kathy, Kathy's not here today, but he and his wife, Kathy, have two grown children, four grandchildren, and they reside very close by in Warnersville, Pennsylvania. Come on up, Don. Would you please join me in welcoming Don Sunshine. Well, I always start out by talking about my last name because Sunshine is kind of an unusual last name. Uh, my grandfather was an Orthodox Jew in Germany in the early 1900s. His name was Harry Zunenschein. And Harry went to Oxford University in England to get a degree. And as he was graduating, they said, Harry, what are your plans for the future? He said, I'm going to emigrate to America. And they said, well, if you're going to go to America, you probably ought to have an English-sounding name. Does Zunenschein mean something in English? He said, well, yeah, if you translate it directly, it means sunshine. They said, what a cool name. Call yourself Harry Sunshine. So that's what he did. Now, it was a great name when I was in sales. You heard I worked for Apple. I was in the computer industry for a bunch of years. And it's a great name for a salesman because you want people to remember your name because that's how you make money when you're in sales. But sometimes even with a simple name like Sunshine, people don't get it. I was working at this little computer store in northern New Jersey in the early 1980s, walking past the reception area this one morning, and I heard her say, hold on, and she put the phone down, and she burst out laughing, and she yells, Don, Don. I said, Jane, I'm right behind you. You don't need to yell. And she said, I think this phone calls for you. I said, what do you mean you think? She said, well, they asked for Mr. Sunrise, told him uh, we didn't have anybody here that name. And they said, what about Moonshine? And she goes, no, 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 but I know who you need to speak with. Now, prior to that, though, I was a police officer in New Jersey, and I was on a SWAT team, and also spent time with the Pennsylvania Game Commission. And trust me, it's not a good name for a policeman. Officer Sunshine. <laughs> Kind of sounds like a cartoon character or a superhero or something, but it's a great name. Now, one of the things that I like to do is I like to ride motorcycles. Here's a picture of me on my bike. For some reason, this looks like a police bike. I've got a white helmet with a coiled cord. The colors kind of look, you know. So, I mean, it's amazing. I was driving up from Jupiter, Florida. I did a MAD training down there, and I'm driving up 95, minding my own business in the right lane, headed to Bike Week in Daytona to share Christ with the bikers. And this car came sailing up the middle lane really, really fast. And as it got close, the whole front end dipped down because they slammed on the brakes. And these two guys are, like, checking me out. 
And they're like looking at me, trying to figure out, is it safe to pass this guy? And after a few minutes, you know, they kind of inched their way up and then they took off. I was in Cooperstown, New York on a motorcycle trip with some pastors. The Bible Fellowship pastor from Blandon had invited me to go. And a pastor friend missed a turn, so I pulled over next to Lake Otsego. And this man in a Chevy Suburban pulls up next to me. He says, excuse me, officer, is it okay to park here if I want to fish in the lake? I said, I'm not a cop and I'm not from New York. He goes, really? You look like one. When I pull over, people come up and ask for directions. There's all kinds of weird things that happen. So I thought, you know what? You can have a little bit of fun with this. All you need to do is grab your wife's hair dryer, park yourself out on a road someplace, <laughs> and there's all kinds of skid marks on the road. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing. But anyway, we're going to have a lot of fun this coming Saturday. Uh, I want to talk to you a little about, about football. Anybody here a football fan? Okay. Forgive me, I was born in Verona, New Jersey, okay, and this was our high school mascot. This is what was on our helmet. <laughs> now, this is the most politically incorrect thing you could ever have today. The guy's got a gun over his shoulder, he's got a bottle of hooch in front of him. I mean, they changed the logo over the years, and now it's just a big V that says hillbillies on it, but I need to set the stage for it. Now, I know it's funny, but it's not as funny as Franklin and Marshall. You know what their mascot is? The diplomats. How in the world do you cheer for diplomats? <laughs> negotiate, negotiate, I don't know. Anyway, I'm gonna read you an article from the Newark Evening News from New Jersey from the fall of 1968. It talks about the Verona Hillbillies three previous football seasons. And it says a Hillbillies losing streak of 32 games was the longest in New Jersey state history. And what made losing worse was the manner in which it happened. Opposing teams ran rough, roughshod over the Hillbillies, winning by embarrassing scores of 75 to nothing, 64 to six, 61 to zero, and 59 to six. Things became so bad at Verona two years ago that Sven Peterson, the AD, had to recruit players from the student body we didn't have too many boys on the team to begin with, recalled Peterson, and the injuries and illnesses left us with only about 16 players total, so we had to forfeit our game with Milburn. I really hated to have to play Verona, said one of the more merciful suburban conference coaches. I was afraid we'd injure some of their boys. We punted on first and second downs, drew deliberate penalties, used every substitute we had, and just ran simple plays into the line to keep from beating them up too badly. Rival coaches still hate to play Verona, but for a different reason. The Hillbillies' long losing streak is all but forgotten. Verona has won six of its first eight games. What happened? Well, when I became a freshman, we hired a brand new football coach from Tennessee. His name was Al Rotella. And I vividly remember this because, you know, we had the longest losing streak in New Jersey State history. I'm a freshman in high school. He, he assembled the entire football team in the cafeteria. And the first thing he did was go around and teach us how to shake hands like a man. And then we went to football camp. We had never been to football camp. And we had quadruple sessions every day. And I remember it was great entertainment to sit on the porch and watch people kind of you know, limp and drag their legs down to practice because everybody was so sore. And the other teams that were doing hitting early, the ambulances were coming for them. And we worked on conditioning, we worked on basics, how to run, how to block, how to tackle, how to hold the ball, how to pass, how to catch. And, you know, we were like, well, when are we going to get in helmets and pads and start whacking each other, you know? And we didn't do it at all at camp. On the very last day of camp, we put our helmet on our shoulder pads and that was it. Well, here's what happened. We went back to the basics, and the end result is we were victorious. We only lost two games our first season, and the second season we won the state championship. 
and it was because we went back to the basics. So our scripture today is taken from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. Who is this command to? Does it say pastors go into all the world? Missionaries go into all the world? It talks about us as followers of Jesus Christ. The scripture says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That doesn't say pastors are Christ's ambassadors or missionaries are Christ's ambassadors or those in full-time vocational Christian service. It says we. Anybody who puts their hand up and says I'm a follower of Jesus Christ gets the title and all the responsibilities that come along with it. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with that? Okay, we have to be his representatives where we live, where we work, at the grocery store, on an airplane, where we go to school. How are you doing with that? We are to make disciples of all nations wherever we go. It is a full-time command, yet most Christians don't even do it part-time. Jesus instructed his disciples to evangelize the world, yet somehow the church today has largely forgotten its mission. Because we're giving our attention to important things, but lesser things, like running the corporation. This is a huge complex with a huge building. Lots of things have to be done here to keep it running. We've got to raise money. We've got buildings and grounds to worry about. We've got programs. And, and, all, and youth work and all kinds of things. And few people go, therefore, there is very little church growth. Sadly, in America today, a lot of church growth is measured by sheep trading. We're going to move sheep from this other flock on the other side of town because they didn't like what the pastor said last week or they don't like the music that's there and they're going to come and start meeting with us. Yes, we've got church growth. That is not church growth. Church growth is sheep reproducing sheep. And it's our job as the sheep of our flocks to be reproducing. How are you doing with that? The leadership's job is to equip us for the, church of, for the work of ministry. It's an equipping function. So we have to get back to the basics and focus on what God left us here to do. Most Christians don't tell anyone else about the gospel. Statistics say that 9 out of 10 people who profess to be Bible-believing Christians never share their faith with anyone. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Are you doing it? You know, they, we have opportunities every single day to just invite people to go to heaven and leave the results to God. But we don't do it for some reason. Let me illustrate. How many unsaved people did you have contact with in the past week where you had a conversation with them? You talked about something. Come up with a number. With how many of those people did you tell them about Christ? Probably the, store, the, the number is really, really small. There's some reasons for that. We've fallen into the corporate Christianity trap. It's easier to serve on a board than it is to go. It's easier to give money to send others, but Jesus didn't say write a check so others can go. And we're so busy with our personal schedules, our family schedules, our church schedules, and all the things that are going on that we forget about soul winning. Keeping the church solvent instead of sinners out of hell. And it's easier to do almost anything else in a church than it is to go. Because it's really nice to be among people with like beliefs, because we're very comfortable in those situations. So why don't we go? Well, I think there's three basic priorities, or three, three basic obstacles to us going. Number one, our focus is, uh, 
it, we have the wrong priorities, that's the problem. Our focus is often more on socializing, on parties, on get-togethers, on activities, on, and what I call lifeboat parties, with everyone who's safe and secure in God's lifeboat. Well, we need to go out and get the people that are all around us and bring them into the lifeboat. Self-improvement seminars, home life, work, family, and the good things may crowd out the most important things in our lives. And sadly, if we were to rate our priorities as a Christian, the Great Commission and soul winning would be very, very low on our priority list. How about apathy? That's another obstacle. We have no real interest in winning the lost. And how about fear? Fear is the thing that stops most of us, and we deal with this in a big way on Saturday, and I help people conquer the fear. We're afraid of, what if they reject me? What if they laugh at me? What if they make fun of me? What if they won't be my friend anymore? What if it changes a relationship? What if they smack me upside the head? All these different fears, and every one of them is a lie of the devil. And the problem is we, we get these thoughts in our head that say, you can't do this. You haven't memorized enough scripture yet. What if that person asks you a question and you don't know the answer to it? You're going to look stupid. And we believe the lies day after day after day, and we get into a pattern of just going to church and doing things at church, and we have no heart for the lost people who are around us. How about, uh, we have ways to overcome this fear. So how do we overcome these obstacles? How about priorities? Our Lord has set the example in Luke 19.10 where he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what's lost. And if I put my hand up and say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's what my master did, and I'm his slave, as it says in the scriptures, then I should be doing exactly what he's doing. But again, we're not doing it. How about the worth of a soul? Jesus said, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than the value of a soul? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, mark my words. If you are not concerned about the lost, you are not saved. Very, very bold statement, but I think it's biblically accurate. See, soul winning demands urgency. Um, the shortness of life. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me at these trainings I've done almost 400 times with tears in their eyes and said, I've got to tell you a story. Had a guy come up to me and say, I was on an airplane, a commuter flight, like from Allentown to Philly. He said it was 20 minutes. And I got on the plane, and as I was getting get my seat, the Holy Spirit said, tell this guy about Jesus. And he said, I recognize it. He said, Lord, no, I can't do that. It's a 20-minute flight. I don't have the time. Who knows how long the conversation's going to go. And I sat down, and I blew it off. He said... I kept feeling the pressure to do this. And I'm, I'm saying, Lord, the turbo props have started. This thing is so noisy in here. I'm going to have to yell at him to hear for, so he hears what I'm going to say. He said, the plane stopped and landed safely. We got up. I went to the overhead compartment. I felt pressure to do it again. And he said, Lord, the guy's already going out the door in front of me. There's no opportunity to do this. He said, Donnie, walked down the steps across the tarmac and dropped dead right in front of me. I stayed while they tried to revive him. And he said he didn't come back. And he said, and he just cried. He just stood there and wept in front of me. We don't know how much time we have. My best friend was killed on a motorcycle that I got him. 16-year-old kid pulled right out in front of him, and he hit him at 55 miles an hour broadside. He made no mistakes. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and instantly he was ushered in the presence of God. One year and nine months earlier, his 18-year-old son was killed by a drunk driver at 12.30 in the afternoon during the week. Made no mistakes. The guy crossed the, the center line, hit him head on, and killed him. Two funerals in a year and nine months. Nine days, I'm sorry. And 
We don't know how much time we have. There's plenty of scripture that supports the fact that Jesus is coming back really, really soon. The Bible says there's going to be a decay of biblical Christianity. Are we there yet? An increase in natural disasters. Here's a big one, the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948. Jesus said that the generation that witnesses that will not pass away until all these things come to pass. Guess what? It's in our lifetime. Sometime really, really soon. Huge efforts underway right now to reintroduce sacrifices on the Temple Mount. The ability to mark a person to be able to buy and sell. That technology's been around for a while. They have these little computer chips the size of a grain of rice. Tested it extensively in Europe and they eliminated identity theft. Guess where they implanted these chips? Right here and right here. And guess what? There's a provision in Obamacare to do that. And my wife showed me an article on the internet, there's a big push right now to implant these in babies at the time of birth. It's all here, okay? We're watching it in our you know, everyday lives. It's, it's in our lifetime. The whole world getting the same message at the same time. That's satellite TV. The ability for a person through the media to capture the hearts and the attention of people living in despair. If we continue on the path that we're on, this is not sustainable. And this, this entire world economy is going to crash and burn, and the United States will not be the country that we all grew up and loved. Okay, it'll become a third world country. The average grocery store has three days' worth of food on the shelves. When people run on the grocery stores and smash the windows and take everything by force, and there's no food left for the honest people, what are you going to do? If they think you have something, they're coming to your house to take it. How are you going to protect your family? These are all realities that we're going to have to face probably in our lifetime. Diminishing truths, the erasing of religious boundaries, and the rise of ecumenicalism. All this stuff is happening. There is a very, very limited amount of time left. We need to get busy doing what God told us to do. And there isn't a person in this room who could attend this Saturday who won't walk out changed. Young and old, I've seen it happen over and over again, no matter where we go in the country, so I know it's God, it's not me. You know, I think it was two years ago, someone gave me an opportunity, they had season tickets to the Eagles. Now, sorry folks, but I'm not an Eagles fan, I grew up in New Jersey, so I'm a Giants fan. Uh, so don't hate me for that. But I said, hey, I'll go to a football game, they were, they were at section 200 seats, I figured, man, they're real close to the field. Got a guy from my church to go with me, and we got down there, and as I stood in this throng, this crowd of people waiting to get in through security, I looked around and did a little survey. You know the conclusion I came up with? I said to my friend John, I said, John, if the rapture occurs, this crowd ain't going to be thin very much. I mean, because it was horrible. We got into the, into the stadium, and lo, little did I know, Section 200 is up there somewhere. <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't even see the numbers on the players' backs. And watching these people drink and, and, and carry on and smoke and cursing, I just said, you know what? I don't ever want to go to a pro football game. It's a lot better, a lot more sanitary to watch it at home. But, you know, there, you see the stereotypical football fans. You know, they've got these jerseys that they've, they've had too many six-packs, and they're packed into these jerseys, and they've got the Budweiser hat on, they're passing beer around, and they're yelling and screaming. And, you know, the, the, the fan obviously knows all the players by first name. He thinks he does anyway. And at least it sounds like he does. And he knows how to do every play better than them. And so he's very quick to criticize the players. And, you know, I, I feel like saying, hey, you know what, pal? Why don't you just sit down and be quiet for a while? And if you think you're so good at this and you know everything, why don't you get out of the stands, go out on the field, and let's see how you can do. All right? 
In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, it says, It was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why is that? It says to prepare God's people for the works of service. See, that's why you've gotten all this input that you've gotten over time. Spiritually, you've heard all these sermons. You've been to Sunday school. You've read your Bible. You've gone to Bible studies. It's because God wants to get you to do something with that. Um, he wants us to be ready to do these works of service. And so many of us are willing to go to meetings, put some money in the offering, and maybe do some low-risk jobs. But we're like the fans in the stands. We like watching. We don't mind kind of being on the fringes and sometimes even criticizing the people who are on the field. Well, you see, Jesus has enough fans. He doesn't need any more fans. He needs players, and it could very well be that he has you here today so that this will motivate you to hear these words coming from him, not from me, that says, get out of the stands and get in the game. There isn't a lot of time left. Someone has wisely said, in the first Reformation, the people of God were given the word of God. Now a second Reformation is needed where the people of God will be given the work of God. You see, God has work for every one of you to do. Not just go to Bible studies and attend meetings and sing songs and support other ministries. It's time for you to play. There's someone only you can share Christ with. They're your connections. They're not Pastor Ron's. They're not Pastor Boone's. They're not mine. They're yours. And they're people that you connect with every day. And when you have a simple connection with someone, there's a real easy way to just invite them to go to heaven and leave the results to God. And it takes all the pressure off. We, you know, um, there's someone who really needs your time. They really need your attention and your experience. In American Christianity, we like to assign all of it to just a few spiritual athletes. They're the person we pay the salaries to. We call them pastors. We call them missionaries. We call them youth leaders. How about they take all the risks for us? But Jesus says we are to be out on the limb, taking risks to serve him. Why don't you be one of the heroes on the field starting this weekend? There are no heroes in the stands. They're only on the field. Dare to say, Lord, what would you have me do? You spent enough time watching. Now get out of the stands and get into the game. Saturday is the perfect opportunity to do this. Let me tell you a little bit about this training. Number one, if you're scared about role-playing, don't worry about it. There's going to be no role-playing. I did have a little fun in Merle's Inlet, South Carolina. As I was setting up in the morning, there was a number of pastors there, and they came and they said to me, they said, um, just... just Point of clarification, you're not doing any role-playing, are you? I said, no. And they said, we have a woman in our church who was so afraid of role-playing that she went to each of the pastors individually and said, this guy, Don, isn't going to make us do role-playing, is he? And they said, no, not as far as I know. She didn't take our word for it. She went to your website and looked it up and tried to find anything on there, audio files or whatever, just to see if you did any role-playing. And they said, she'll be here today. And I said, you want to have a little fun? <laughs> and I said, what's her name? And I said, get me a basket and a piece of paper. So I tore up this piece of paper, put it in the basket, and right in the middle of training I said, so I said, I've never done this before, but I'll try something new today. We're going to do a little role playing. And I said, I got the names of everybody who's here today. Let me pick out a name. Where is so-and-so? She ran out the church. 
The pastors got up and chased her out the door. I didn't know what to do. They grabbed her in the parking lot and they dragged her back and assured her that, you know, we weren't going to do any role playing. It was just a joke. And she stood there and she said, I will get you. <laughs> so far, she hasn't been able to track me down. So that's a good thing. But here's what we cover, okay? How do I recognize the opportunities that God gives me every day to share my faith, but I miss them? And you have them every single day. You just don't know what to look for. What does it really mean to be a full-time ambassador for Jesus Christ? Secondly, we're going to deal with fear. We're going to list every single fear that we can think of, and I'm going to show you how to beat it. And then lastly, we're going to talk about what does it look like when a door opens for me to share my faith, and what do I do and say? Now, again, I've had the privilege of teaching this 382 times in 21 states and Canada equipping over 20,000 people to start living a daily lifestyle of evangelism. I don't care what kind of evangelism training you've, you've, you've had before, this is unlike anything you've ever experienced. It is a ton of fun, there's a lot of humor in it, there is no role playing, it is convicting at times, but most importantly, it's equipping. And there isn't a person in this room, young or old, who can come out to this thing and not have their lives drastically changed by God. And I've seen it happen over and over again. I have literally thousands of testimonies of people who have never shared their faith in Christ with anybody. And after spending four hours with me, they leave and often do it on the way home from the seminar. And I've got tons of testimonies. In the last six months, I probably have 20 type pages front and back of testimonies of people who said, I cannot believe how easy this is to do. Now, I've had pastors say to me, Don, whatever you do, don't get ordained because you're so believable the way you are. As soon as you put REV in front of your name or you have a Bible college degree or whatever, they're going to write you off because you already have all the training. I don't have any of that. Okay, I am just like everybody sitting in the audience here. I'm a lay person. I don't have any qualifications. God taught me this. It's totally transformed my life and tens of thousands of people I've had the privilege of sharing this with. So I want to encourage you to do something, okay? Those of you that saw there was evangelism training on Saturday and you already looked at your calendar and said, oh no, I don't have anything scheduled. Some of you probably made appointments with the dentist to have root canals on Saturday <laughs> because you'd much rather do that than come to this. I guarantee you'll be blessed if you come. It's not because of me. It's because of the truth of God's word, and you're going to see how simple this is to do. And everybody here can do it. How would your life change if every day you could naturally and easily share your faith with one person? Think about it. How would it change? What about if on some days you got to share with three people? or four people. You know what happens? Your Christian life becomes the great adventure that God designed it to be. But so many of us miss it, and, and being a Christian just involves going to church and throwing some money in the plate, singing some songs, and praying. And that's all it is. Now, let me tell you something. When your feet hit the, morning, hit the floor in the morning, and you're doing this, you can't wait to see who God's going to connect you with that day. Because you're going to have the opportunity to impact somebody's eternity. And that's amazing. And so I hope that you'll take the time to come. I promise you, you will not be bored. It is very entertaining. It's a lot of fun. It's fast-paced. I did a training for the Lehigh Christian Academy Middle School last September. And Barbara, the principal, came up to me at the first break. We were at Milford Bible Camp. And she, her jaw was hanging down. And she said, Don, these kids are off the wall when they're not in school. She said, I have never seen them sit that still that long for anybody. She goes, an hour and a half went by. She goes, they didn't budge, and they were sitting on wooden benches outside. And she said, they're hanging on every word, filling in the blanks on the form. It's that engaging. And so I can't encourage you enough to come. Uh, and I promise you, if you come, you won't be bored. You'll be entertained. And more importantly, God can dramatically change your life and use you powerfully with whatever time we have left on the planet.
because I wouldn't want to stand before God someday at the judgment seat of Christ all by yourself. And he says, hey, the church booked this guy to come in on Saturday to teach you how to do what I commanded you to do. What was more important than that? What did you choose to do that was more important than that? Do you want to have to answer that question? Why you blew this off to do something else? When this is a command of God that if, you, if you're a follower of me, you're going to do what I have been doing and we're not doing it. So I just hope and pray that you'll come on Saturday because we're going to have a great time and I thrive on testimonies. I mean, I get testimonies. Sometimes I'm not, even on, I'm not even home and I'm getting emails on my phone from people who said, I got to share with two different people on the way home from the seminar because it's that easy to do.